Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of In Depth with Beth and Seth, a podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. My name is Seth Patterson, and I am your minister for spiritual formation and theater. And I am joined today, as always, by my wonderful colleague, Beth Hoffman Faith. Good morning, Beth. How are you doing today? Good morning, Seth. Good morning, everyone. I am I'm doing okay. Had a lovely Mother's Day. So I'm kind of basking in the glow of a, an active day. The first Mother's Day in a while where there was actually some things to do. And Mother's Day is a complicated day for me and for very many others. And so it's just grateful to spend time with both one of my daughters and my own mother. So but I am Beth Hoffman Faith and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship and I'm glad to talk to you this morning, Seth. Did you find a place to eat yesterday? <laughs> the very good question. Yes, in all my wonderful ways of preparation, we had no plans or reservations. And, you know, it's sort of embarrassing to call Saturday, even Friday before Mother's Day, because they just <laughs> everybody wants to laugh at you. And so we ended up finding a place to eat, a lovely place in Hudson. Had to wait quite a while, but, you know, that was all right. Enjoyed conversation and a little bit of a cocktail before... I don't know. We ate at like three o'clock. What, what is that? <laughs> it wasn't brunch anymore. It wasn't quite dinner, maybe late lunch. I don't know. We, we had I feel like time. that's my grandmother would call that a supper. Oh, a supper. There's something, and I don't know the definition, but there's something in the word supper in my, at least in my family's lineage on that side is supper is that midday on a weekend sort of large meal. Hmm, interesting. Well, Dinner is an it. evening meal. Supper is a oh. different thing somehow. Wow. We could spend the whole podcast talking about that, Seth, but we've got other things to talk about, like the sermon do. that Dwayne preached yesterday. Yes. And yesterday was May 8th, 2022. And the sermon is called Alive and Awake, preached by our colleague, the Reverend Dr. Dwayne Davis, and this is on Acts 9, 36 through 43, which is about Tabitha, known in Greek as Dorcas, which I have to say both times I heard it, the 14-year-old in my brain, actually more like the eight-year-old in my brain giggled both times at the part of Acts where it says Tabitha, known in Greek as Dorcas, Yes, I imagine it may have, have gone the, that way, Seth, but <laughs> Tabitha is actually a very significant figure, even though she doesn't get a whole lot of uh, screen time or uh, text time, because she is actually named as a disciple, the only woman named as a disciple in the New Testament. And this is short, little pericope is when Peter actually goes and resurrects Tabitha. Uh, carrying on the ministry, mission, and miracles of Jesus. And that is a bit about what Acts is about, as the disciples figure out how to, as some scholars said, Dwayne mentioned this yesterday, sort of be Jesus now. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we were preaching from Acts throughout this month, a couple more weeks, I think, because Acts is traditionally found in the Revised Common Lectionary after Easter, because it talks about this post-resurrection movement, the way. Right. And as Duane reminded us, and, and for our listeners today, Acts is book two of Luke. The, who, whomever wrote Luke, 
whether the person's name was Luke or not, continued on from the story of Jesus's life into what happened after that. And so Luke, even though they're not next to each other in the way that we currently have our Bible canonized and put together, Luke Acts is one long story. So the Acts part of it is what happened after the death? What happened after Easter? How did then the movement grow, spread, define itself? Who were the people in it? And Tabitha was a very important member of the early, uh, it's probably not even right to say the early church, the early way, the early movement, Mm -hmm. because it hadn't yet separate itself fully from Judaism. It was still trying to figure that out. Are we still Jewish? Are we, what rules are we held by? What laws do we follow? Absolutely. And also I think about Acts as just this sort of beautiful illustration of the vision for the church. I've always particularly been drawn to a section in chapter two that talks about how this, you know, the community comes together and they share everything they have and, and everybody has exactly what they need. They come together for meals every day and there's joy to be found. They talk about experiencing the joy of God together. And to me, that that is my biggest hope for the church, that we would figure out how to pool all the gifts and resources that we have so that we can make sure everyone has what they need. I know that's uh, very aspirational, but still something I'd love to to live into. And I have to say there's, you know, when we think about the disciples right after Easter and how scripture reports that they hid away and they didn't know what to do, that they kind of come a long way, baby. They, they're they're yeah. doing some stuff now. They're actually out in the world being who God has called them to be. That's exciting. It's not just aspirational. It's also in our current way of thinking about progress, almost regressive because we've built the institution And now the hoped for thing is to go back to the way it was before it was institutionalized, (laughs) which would take either a very large reformation of the institution or a letting it go. And instead, the mutual thriving of community without paid leaders, without a building, without some of these commonalities that we have come to rely on. But isn't that exactly what we're being asked to do now? I mean, to me, I feel like the church, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Plymouth and church, the church universal, we are on the cusp of needing to do church radically different than we've known before because of what we've experienced in the last two years, because of the pandemic, because of the great need for justice in the world. I mean, I I just think we have this opportunity to be the church of acts if we really, if we really wanted it to be so. And yes, it would mean breaking down all the systems, which we, we continue to talk about and looking and doing and experiencing things differently. But boy, what better time than now? Later, much later, like <laughs> when it's somebody else's job, that's when it's a better Oh, time. I see. I see. <laughs> well, well we that's talk- exactly the question that Dwayne is asking, right? In this sermon... Dwayne is focusing on the acts, the deeds, the tasks, the the living out of a post-resurrection being, again, not in system or institution, but in being, in doing. What is it that people are doing? He quotes Will Bishop Will Willimon when he talks about Peter and it says, Peter repeats Jesus. And in one of the services, he even said, wouldn't it be good if we all repeated Jesus. Mm. Well, I like that as a thought because we are in Easter season. Easter is not just a day. I've said this a lot last week too. And uh, it's a season 
I really, I did like the way Dwayne invites us into considering what Easter living looks like. And he proposes that the disciples are Easter living. They're living into the messages of Easter, that resurrected message, the possibilities of new life, um, new things to begin. And they're going out in the world and really proclaiming that. And I don't know, repeating Jesus sounds like a way to do that. Do you see ways that we are doing this? I mean, so we, we, we have made a distinction, which I think is a, a too simplistic uh, distinction between institution and the doing of these things, because we are an institution. And I'd like to imagine at least that we are doing these things both internal to the church and um, that the individual members are going out and doing good deeds in their daily lives. But are you able to see ways that we are? Duane mentions some. He talks about our drop-in center. He talks about our Sunday community meal. He mentions the community fund, which it's a way for us to share our abundance, which I think we could do a lot better than Mm -hmm. we are. He mentioned children and youth is another way. Well, I actually think there's a lot of ways that this is happening in Plymouth that remain sort of unseen. I think about our numerous fellowship groups. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I, I've been saying for a long time now that to me, the future of the church really exists in small groups. It's less about large group gatherings and it's about small group connection and working together and building relationship. But we have we have a number of fellowship groups that have some have been in existence for over 50 years. Others are newer. Some come together organically. Others have been created by clergy or staff. And well, there are stories about how a previous senior minister, really the one, uh, Howard Kahn, who created what we would call the modern Plymouth, he, any new member, he would say, you and you, you are in this group and you two are in this group and you come up with a name, but I see it something like percolators. And it was really an assigned thing. And it was so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they and many of them still remain. Half yes. the people might not even call Plymouth their home anymore, but their fellowship group holds a lot of social weight in their lives. Right. And then outsider looking in or someone who doesn't understand what the fellowship group is about or doesn't know the people in it may see these groups as um, exclusive or just getting together to, to socialize and have fun. And not that there's anything wrong with that. But what I have heard, the stories I have heard are that these fellowship groups become life sustaining for the members in it. And when someone in the group is in distress, has had something terrible happen, is ill, um, going through any kind of transition, their fellowship group becomes church for them. Yeah, Like the members of the fellowship group, they show up, they bring food, they provide transportation, they're offering pastoral care. All the things that we would hope that our church community might do for one another is happening in these small group cells. And I don't know that, that we tell that story very well. That's a good point. I've heard people say, oh, I just, I had open heart surgery six months ago. I said, wow, what? I didn't know about that. Oh yeah. My fellowship group showed up. Mm -hmm. That was the equivalent of telling the church that we might not have known that they had it because they were taken care of. Right. They didn't need the institution. Right. And, you know, Duane's example was going to his mother's sewing circle at church when he was a boy and his perceptions of that was that, you know, there were kind of a bunch of women gossiping about what happened to who, 
And it took him a while to realize, no, they were doing really significant ministry because they were naming people who needed care. And then they were making sure others in the group were going to provide that care. Um, you know, we have a, we have a, our own a knitting. We have a knitting group that meets weekly at church and it's a small group. And every Wednesday morning, anybody is welcome yes, to join them. Absolutely. If you don't know how to knit, my understanding is they will help you learn. Well, they create these beautiful prayer shawls and baptism hats, and they create these sort of tangible reminders of the church's love and care for people in need. That to me models sort of this church that acts leads us to the gathering of people, the the clusters of people who are coming together because they feel compelled by God, by the ministry and mission of Jesus to be together, to do good work in the world. Dwayne says towards the, towards the end of the sermon, he talks about the optimism of grace to shape us so entirely that people have no choice, but to see our good works and acts of charity and say, I want to know more. And that I found that to be a very compelling piece because it wasn't just about what are we doing, but that sort of the evangelizing of it, which is a word that people at Plymouth often are really uncomfortable with, myself included, but the evangelizing doesn't have to be on the spreading of a word. It is on the actions, on the deeds, on the love, on the, the grace and the, the awakeness in the world. And people want to know more. I met several new people yesterday mm-hmm. in between the services and after, and many of them when asked why they were there, somebody invited them or they heard about us by something that we or some sub part of us did. And they were curious about where that action into the world was coming from. Mm-hmm. So our actions are not are a way to proclaim and a way to be active in the world is to show goodness. Right. And we don't do that in a vacuum. We may feel protected by the structure that is Plymouth, but that that's not church. Church is outside of the structure. It's about the relationships that form that give us the strength and courage to go out into the world and do this ministry with and without other church members. I love that phrase, optimism of grace. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a really uh, a beautiful wording. You know, we talk about grace a lot in the church. It's a theological word that can both confound and uh, also lift up people, but it is a positive thing. And when we look around and see grace sort of come alive and be able to name it, I think that could be really a, a transformative opportunity for a church that's wondering kind of what's next for them. So where where is where's grace showing up right now? And I think for Plymouth, I think we wrestle a lot with the idea of resurrection and maybe what it means Easter people that seems a little too literal yeah, for us could. perhaps. And so maybe that's where we have to do some thinking. What We are a Christian church. We do proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. We're invited to interpret that in a multitude of different ways, which is great. <laughs> and what does it mean 
to be Easter people and to be rooted in the message of the resurrection and to take that into a world that is really dry and dusty and needs new life. And I believe that is the question that we we leave you with. What does it mean? Without what you are able to put your own theology, your own meaning, your own interpretation on the concept of resurrection, on the, what it means to be Easter people. But what does it mean? What do you do with that? With whatever your conception is, what do you do with it? How do you proclaim it to the world? How do you show it in the actions and the way that you live? How do you make people want to know more because of what you do and who you are? That's the question, friends. That's wrestle question. with it well. I think and that was the invitation of the sermon to yeah. me is to really wrestle with the question, what does Easter living look like? Well, friends, appreciate you spending some time with us today. As always, we invite you to watch or listen to the sermon on our Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis YouTube page or our website, Plymouth.org. And as always, we invite you to be in conversation with us if there's anything you would like to know more, any thoughts that have come out of listening that you would like to share. You can email me at sethp at Plymouth.org or beth at bethf at Plymouth.org. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.